HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, my name is Sam Ben Ruby, and I'm the host of The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. With this show, we bring wine to the people. Each week, we bring the best guests in wine on, taste different wines on air, and invite our listeners to taste with us. You'll find our approach to wine decidedly unsnobby. You can find The Grape Nation wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Connected to these fine gentlemen up here, except that I like all of their wines very much, and um, and I'm a huge fan of sort of Austrian wine and a lot of the developments that have been happening in the country of Austria, I think, over the last few decades especially. Um, so just so you guys know, I'm, uh, I'm the wine director at two restaurants in lower Manhattan, um, <laughs> Uh, Estella in Soho, and then a little bit to West Soho, Cafe Ultra Paradiso. Um, you will see most of these wines on the wine list at Estella because um, Ultra has much more Italian wine and so on. So if you guys want to come check them out and drink them, you can always have them there. Um, yeah, and then um, just a quick introduction for our three panelists today. Um, I have with me uh, Eduard Schäpe, um, Eduard Schäpe Esselbock <laughs> uh, from... Uh, Bergenland um, and from Gutogau here with me, um, and I have Johannes Sillinger from the um, Weinviertel, and then also uh, Matthias Heger from the Kamptal. I did that okay, right? Those are pretty good. Okay. Um, so each of these um, each of these individuals are proprietors of their own domains um, in different regions in Austria, and um, today's sort of specific focus is their. Um, farming practices of biodynamics. Um, and I think this is a very special panel for me because as somebody who has worked with natural wine for quite some time now, about 10 years, um, more or less, the practice of biodynamics is something that gets spoken about a fair amount, I think, even in the general public now. But I am very certain that most of us have no idea what is going on with it a fair amount of the time, that we have heard small pieces here and there of maybe different practices, Everybody has the joke about the ram's horn. Um, everyone knows that it's somehow remotely connected maybe to lunar cycle. Um, but I think that there isn't uh, as much of a clear understanding about what biodynamics is, why anybody would choose to farm that way, um, why it has a connection to Austria, which I think is uh, deeply interesting and very important. Um, and so I, we're hoping that these growers who actually farm using this practice instead of just someone like me who reads a lot about it and drinks a lot of wines who are farmed in this way um, can explain it a little bit better. Um, so just to give you guys my kind of, um, my sort of context and background for this, um, I think it's important that we all mention our, our forebear and our patron, Rudolf Steiner. Um, and for those of you that don't know the name and don't know his connection, he's largely credited with introducing a, a notion or a theory of biodynamics into the contemporary or modern world. Um, he was born in 1861 in the area of Styria, where Eduard is from. Um, so that's the area that borders, is southeastern Austria that borders um, Slovenia, and it's kind of more in the southern part of the Austrian world. When Steiner was born, it was still the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so Austria was not yet the country that we know it to be um, as it exists now. Um, and I think it's incredible because some of the most powerful biodynamic farming I've ever seen is in Styria, where Steiner was born 150 or so years ago. 
Um, he's a kind of a mysterious figure. There's a Rudolf Steiner Center in Manhattan. If you guys haven't been, it is very kooky and very interesting. Um, he developed a bunch of theories on everything from education to farming to medicine to um, spiritual practice, uh, which I think many Americans are likely to sort of brush aside um, and say this is all very esoteric. I've heard him described as an occultist. Um, what could this possibly have to do with wine and what could it possibly have to do with superior farming? Um, but since then, in 150 years, the practice and the theory and, and the study that's been done of Steiner's work has developed into a global phenomenon. Um, and I, it's my hope, after having seen many of these vineyards with my own eyes in many different countries, um, that the people who actually practice this thing can kind of explain a little bit better why they would choose to participate in a style of farming that maybe a lot of people think is completely bizarre and there isn't good enough science on it. So that's, that's the kind of background. That's why Austria is so interesting because of, of having very much um, an origin, a thinker who originated um, kind of this theory, uh, even though I'm sure these guys will tell you the theories are quite old and certainly um, they predate Austria too. So yeah. Um, Gentlemen, I think the thing that, so these guys are all from three different subregions of Austria, the country, right? Um, the Weinviertel, it's uh, hard to find wine in New York from this area at all. So to have a biodynamic farmer from that area is pretty special. You'll see more of it from Burgenland, um, I think because there has been some momentum for this region in New York um, and across the US. Um, so you'll see some of it here. And then in the Kamptal and in the Niederösterreich in general, um, I think many of us who've been working in wine for a long time have seen a lot of classical wine come out of this area. So the very famous Grunewaldliners and um, sort of powerful late harvest Rieslings um, from the Niederösterreich, um, that's kind of where Matthias is located. So I think to start off, if you guys wouldn't mind um, just sharing with everybody how you came to decide that biodynamic farming would be a thing, even that you were interested in, or maybe where you heard of it, or just what were the first inklings, what were the first thoughts for you guys, this style of farming? Eduard, I'll make you start. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's a little bit hard to follow this very um, charming introduction. Uh, to try to put it a little bit on the point, because in the end, you know, talking about biodynamics is talking about life, and it's hard to bring life into a one-hour session, but we can maybe touch a few things, and I would agree with Amanda. In the end, nowadays, we're really happy that only a couple of years after the, say, natural wine movement started, lots of people like you are embracing it and, and appreciating the wines and really feeling the spirits and the energy. But then again, it's a kind of a new movement, and... We really encourage all of you to question what's happening, and especially in terms of farming. This is something which is really important for all of us. Of course, like approaching wine has always been taught to be approached by vinification. People were asking about the, the vets, where the wines would be fermented, how long on the skins, sulfites used or not, whatever, all those topics. But this is only a minor topic in terms of style of wine, in terms of liveliness, of energy, whatever is really mattering for us. So more crucially is, how the vineyards are farmed, how the soil is alive or not. And now we are on the point where we can maybe discuss this more and make a difference in the uh, different kind of farming approaches. And then again, biodynamic farming is one of those approaches. For us personally, for my wife and, and me, we, we took over an old kind of abandoned estate in 2007 in the town of Ocker in Burgenland. And uh, the vineyards have been poorly treated, hardly any, luckily, fertilization, uh, chemical treatments anymore, but the former owners only sold grapes, the recent vintages, before we took over. So we didn't really know what the, the vineyards uh, would be in terms of storytelling and energy, whatever. So for us, it was obvious to, to kind of revive the soil, to preserve those old vineyards. We would go into the most sustainable farming approach, which for us, of course, was the biodynamics. Plus, at that time, the wines we, we tasted, we regularly drank, the most inspiring for us have been the biodynamic ones. And maybe um, after the introduction, we can go a little bit more into deep, because in the end, biodynamics is something we're talking of dynamics, of energy. We're talking of all those, whatever you want to call it, information, spirits, whatever around. And this is the extra layer in the, in the wine, besides from the taste, the looks. This is the extra layer which you can only feel, you can hardly describe, and you can't analyze at all. But that's the beauty of life. Not everything needs to be analyzed, but lots of things can be felt. And obviously, hopefully you agree, the wines you taste, the wines you, 
which make you feel good. Um, most of them, they would be grown in a very sustainable way, and most of them would be grown biodynamically. So that's, for, again, the reason for us why we started to, to go like this, more as a farming approach. After all those years, it's become much more a life, lifestyle approach because it's much more about just farming the, the land. It's about caring the plants. It's about living the life. It's about treating whoever's working on the farm. It's closing the circle. So it's much, much more than just working on the soil and on the plants in the end. Johannes, I know that um, just from having read about your domain that you are, um, you are second generation. Your domain comes from your family and your father, but I understand that you are the one who did the conversion process at your, at your domain. So maybe you could kind of um, share with everybody how you came to even come to this idea of first organic farming and then uh, biodynamie. Yeah, so um, our winery is uh, located in northeast of Vienna, so in Weinviertel, so it's... Uh, it's a classic wine growing area, but uh, it's not like in Burgenland or in Kamtal that there is only a vineyard. Uh, we have a lot of agriculture around. Also, my father, uh, when he changed to organic farming in 84, uh, so at this time, no one needs, in the end, organic farming, or the consumer don't, don't need the organic farming. And um, at this time, um, I think um, organic farming uh, was... Um, there was five, six, maybe seven or ten producers in Austria who found organic. So it was a very strict uh, reglementation on organic farming because there is nothing what you can buy or what you can add or what was allowed to add to the wine or to um, what you can use in the, in the vineyard. So uh, they have to improve a lot. And um, the more uh, organic farming is common, the more the industry uh, looks uh, on it and the more ingredients uh, you can add. And um, so my father worked always supernatural in the vineyards. Uh, he takes care of the soil, of the plants and so on. And uh, for me was the idea when I took over the winery in 2012, um, what I missed uh, in the wine was uh, that uh, you don't feel the life, you don't feel the, the, the vibrant energy what was in the soil or in the plants. And um, I'm always thinking about uh, how can you convert or how can you bring the energy uh, of the soil, of the plants, into the wine. And I think uh, biodynamic farming um, with the preparates uh, gives you the possibility uh, to bring this energy also to the wine. And um, in the conversion process to biodynamic farming, you work, uh, you work with, with other eyes uh, through your vineyards. You, you feel more energy, you feel the life, um, I think it's um, another way of thinking when you, when you change to biodynamic farming. Um, you see the nature, you see your vineyards, you see the surroundings with other eyes. It's uh, totally different. And when was your change from organic into then biodynamic farming? So I started the, con uh, the, the, the process in 2013, I think. 13, yeah. 13, you yeah. look at him, he knows? I think he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Matthias, I asked you yesterday about, I asked you, we were chatting, and I said, what was it for you? Um, what was it for you that said, okay, I must change the way that my property is farmed? What were your first thoughts about this? Uh, yes, uh, I start uh, really early in the winemaking process, and it was, for the normal farming, it was a little bit boring, and... It was also for me a way to make a very uh, interesting way the, the vines and it was for me also a reason to change to biodynamic. So um, I'm curious because you know everybody here practices this kind of farming um, but if you could just explain to everybody in sort of practical ways um, what is the difference in what you do between organic farming and biodynamic practices? What, did, what are you beginning to add on or what are you beginning to change? Like these are all people who I presumably are not farmers. And so I think uh, the techniques might be as, of a surprise to some people or where do you begin? Um, Matthias, what, was, what were some of the first things you started to do in your vineyard? Yes, uh, the, uh, the horn sheet, one of the first things that uh, you take in the vineyard and then you see there is something changing. 
it get more liveful and everything. So for those of you that don't know, the, the joke that's about the manure and the cow horn thing, this is like a very famous, what is called a preparation within biodynamic farming, where the, you know, the horn of a ram or of a steer is taken and it's packed with manure um, and various other sort of preparations, living manure, um, and then it's buried in, in a vineyard field. Um, and I, I'm not sure, do all, all three of you, you practice this as well? Yeah, do you use this preparation, Johannes? Okay, so um, it sounds like a very occult-ish thing to do, um, but you said that, Matthias, you said you saw an increase in the liveliness of your vineyards. What does that look like and feel like to you in your vineyard? Uh, the grapes are, or <clears throat> the grapes get better matured uh, quality, mm -hmm. and yes, it's not so easy to uh, say them for me. I think other winemaker can also say something more. Um, I think what you like to explain is um, when you see the grapes, um, the, the ripening process, so the physiological ripening process, goes much earlier than before or much faster uh, than before. Um, it was also a thing what, what I've yes. seen in my winery. Thank you for, um, thank you for telling. When, um, <laughs> When I walked um, in 2012 through the vineyard and in 2013, after the first uh, two years when, you, when we used the preparates, you see the, phys the physiological ripeness of uh, the wood, of the grapes, of the seeds getting better and getting faster. And you bring the, the, the plants in a balance. So it, this is an interesting question. Um, physiological ripeness has to do with the way that the fruit is evolving on the vine, yeah? How does that translate for you guys into your finished wines. What is the difference in taste if your vines are ripening faster and the wood of the vines is ripening faster as you're farming biodynamically? What, how does that change the way the wines taste, for example? I think Hannes already mentioned, in the end it's, it's all about balance and harmony. And if you talk about biodynamics or if you're talking of a proper farming, what you wanna reach is a certain balance in the vineyard, in whatever kind of farmland you have. So. Balance for plants means, of course, that they are rooted in a lively soil, so the roots can get at the right time what they need from the soil, say water, nutrients, whatever. Conventional farming can't give you this, because if you do fertilize conventionally, you get this fertilizer into the soil where the, the plant can't distinguish whether I'm thirsty, I get water, or I'm hungry, I get the nutrients, because the, the, the chemical fertilizers, they are diluted in water. So the plants actually, for example, want to drink, but they will still get the kick of nutrients taking the water. So this is not uh, leading into a balance because there's lots of energy lost into growth through this. And the, the plant can't really focus in terms of energy into protecting itself or bringing a balanced ripeness into the fruit. And if you talk about balanced ripeness, what's the heritage of any fruit? That's the seed. So the, the idea of any plant is to create a ripe seed at the right time. So the, the, for example, as a grape, it means the, the skins of the grape should be in a harmonious ripeness, should not be bitter anymore, the tannic structure, because that would attract, say, the birds to eat the, the fruit and then shit the seeds or spread the seed. So it's about this balance, this harmony. It's about, as Hannes mentioned, the, the balanced ripeness of the, of the wood to have enough um, resilience of, of nutrients to start the vegetation again the next year. So all this balance, all this harmony needs to be created. And then you need as a base this, this balance, this harmony in the soil, which is not easy to get because most of the, the soil we are working on have be, has been to a certain extent more or less earlier conventionally farmed. So it takes a, a period of transition. But then again, we have those preparations to bring into balance. And we're talking of those preparations, the horn manure, the horn silicate. Those are the two major biodynamic preparations which are used either on the soil or the plant to create this balance and harmony. In the long run, say in the future vision, if you have a perfectly balanced soil and plant, you don't need anything. But we're still, on the one hand, because of a certain heritage, struggling to find the balance. On the other hand, because planet Earth at the moment is a little bit out of balance for certain reasons. Not everything is man-made, but lots of it. So we will still um, use those tools to create balance. And that's what's working perfectly for, for balance harmony in the soil in terms of liveliness, but also balance harmony in terms of health, in terms of ripeness for the plants. That's in the end, like in short terms, 
what Spydynamics is about to get the balance, which you might not have previously. And also working in vineyards means even though we break with cover crop, with different um, plants in between, we're still working in a certain monocultural system. Also to, to balance this disharmony of a monocultural system, of course, these preparations can have a huge impact. So maybe you can, there's a, so much to, uh, to share about <laughs> what sort of Edward shares here. So we're talking about vineyards being out of balance, soil being out of balance, um, the grapevines ripening processes not being as healthy as they could be, and we're talking about the whole world being out of balance. So sort of a lot for one farming theory to try to take on. Um, maybe, uh, Johannes, if you could sort of describe to everybody um, the, wa the word that I always hear from German speakers when they're talking about this is lifeliness, um, which in English sort of means, you know, just kind of perky to us. Um, but I think th the way that I translate that word when I hear people talking about it is like um, vitality, you know, like um, potency. And so often I think for Americans who drink wine and for wines um, in the modern world, potency and power have meant things like what Robert Parker took them to mean. It, it means high alcohol, it means polish, it means sort of extraction and heaviness in wine, right? And so many people um, who we know are still kind of drinking wines like this. Um, I think that seeing power and seeing vitality or liveliness is kind of a different, um, it's a different hue to be looking for, both in your vineyards and in your finished wines. It's a different tone to be looking for as opposed to just vigor and yield and production and being able to sell a million cases of wine to everybody around the world, right? So maybe, um, maybe Johannes, you can describe to everybody lively soil. Like, what does lively soil look like versus soil that is not living and versus soil that is conventionally farmed? Because we don't have pictures, sadly. I wish you guys could see all of their vineyards, but maybe what does the soil look like? Uh, what does the soil look like? Uh, so uh, for me, a sound soil has a lot of air in, so it's not compressed. Uh, a lot of roots from different uh, plants, not only vines, uh, also different herbs, uh, grass and so on. Uh, if you walk on, 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 on a healthy uh, sound soil, it's soft, it's not hard, it's not compressed. And um, you see more, more, more animals in the soils, you see mm, more worms and so on. Yeah, totally different than, than a conventional farm soil or I want to say a conventional dead farm soil because when I walk in my area through conventional farmed agriculture fields or vineyards, they are dead cultivated, mm -hmm. really dead. There is nothing life in it. Matthias, how is it for you when you saw your vineyards change? How, uh, you said you know there is more liveliness, but maybe you can describe, um, maybe you can describe visually what the difference was because everybody has described the feeling. But I think these details, like Johannes brings up, are really important. The way the soil feels under your foot is different. It doesn't feel like pavement or like concrete. And if you walk through, if you're from somewhere where you plant soybeans or where there's um, a different crop that's a massive monoculture, you, and you walk around on those soils, they're compacted. They're very, very hard. And Johannes is suggesting that better farming, less monoculture, and biodynamics restore air and a certain kind of softness and lightness to the soil. I've felt that under my own feet. Um, but it's important to hear it from many, many people who have seen the same thing, you know? So, and Matthias, what was the change of the look of your vineyards when you began to change? Yes, uh, I think the, the growing was more harmonious. Mm -hmm. It was a, bit, a little bit lower growing than before. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> lower yield, yeah. So, not so high. The wine's a little bit shorter. Mm -hmm. And it's also good uh, with not so many green green uh, leaves and the sun goes more to the grapes and also I see also different when when you work with the soil it's also uh, not so many uh, it's, not so much it's easier to work with work the, soil. the soil yeah yeah, so the idea here is when you farm conventionally and you're adding a bunch of fertilizer and you're working it with, you need machines because the soil is so compact now yes, that, that you have to say. add extra strength. But if your soil is full of air and it's not as compacted and it's more living and there's more roots moving through it, then you're able to work it a little bit more gently, which all of this might sound like small detail, but it contributes, as Eduard was saying, to the overall 
know, harmony and balance of what's happening in the vineyard. Um, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about what began to happen to your wines. Um, what changes did you see in the wines then as you began to change in the vineyard? Um, how did you feel your wines changing over those years? Uh, I think Johannes uh, have the best... Uh, uh, he he sees in, in his winery the best where uh, she works very long, organic, and then he say better the, pro, the difference from organic to biodynamic. I changed the winery uh, really di uh, directly from normal farming. We also, before we take not so many things, because I change, uh, start with organic and biodynamic in the same... At the same time. Yes, right. and that's, I think Johannes could more say the difference from organic to biodynamic. Okay, for me, the, the biggest difference or the biggest thing that I have seen uh, on my wines was um, that um, the alcohol percent uh, goes massively down uh, and they don't lost um, the, the ripe flavors. Mm. So this was the biggest thing that I've seen. And uh, the other thing is um, the development of the wines are getting slower. Mm -hmm. But it's also a thing of, I think, of, of winemaking. I think it's a, a, holistic, a holistic thing when we're speaking about uh, the development. So um, I think you go also a different way uh, in your wine cellar when you change the biodynamic farming than before. Mm -hmm. And so where did you, because the two of you, uh, Matthias, you did it all at once, right? So went from conventional farming to organics and biodynamics overnight. And then, Johannes, you have a unique background because of your father's long trajectory with organic farming, right? So there's yet another conversion that can be done. And then, Eduard, you and Stephanie began with organics and biodynamics at the same time as well, right? So there's interesting sort of what, what did it look like before? What did it feel like before? Um, Johannes is talking about some pretty subtle changes in the vines and in, and in then what will become your wine fruit, um, a slowing down of the ripening process with a decrease in sugar and therefore alcohol while still achieving the same kinds of ripeness. Like those are very strange factors kind of shifting around, you know? Um, because you guys all made these changes, I'm very curious to hear, where did you hear about it? Like where did you learn to make the changes? Who taught you how? Because it's very hard to find this stuff in books. To my mind, um, biodynamics is also a little bit hard to, on the one hand, be taught, and on the other hand, to be learned theoretically. So it's always best to go into practice and then do a little bit like trial and error. Of course, there's like common sense for treatments, as, as I mentioned, like preparations. But then we also work with herbal extracts, for example, to strengthen the plants. This is something very individual. Even in our winery, from, from vineyard to vineyard, we make differences. And then the neighbor, if he would work the same, of course, would make differences. And then regions, there's differences. So this is certainly something which you can't necessarily learn from a book. You can experience a lot. And of course, there's some common senses you read about. And the root of all the biodynamic farming is sort of Steiner's lectures on agriculture. So if you, if you claim you work biodynamically, at least you should have tried to read this once. It's really difficult because <laughs> on the one hand, the language is a little bit weird. It's not, an, it's not a proper book, but it was just like written down while he, he held the speech. So it's kind of a, like spoken words written down. And then Rudolf Steiner, again, like to understand maybe um, this was a guy who was really thinking in a very different and feeling in a very different way life. So he wouldn't only look at the plant, like say, okay, this is a, like say a, a green leaf and a red flower or whatever, but he would f kind of feel the aura of a plant. So we're in, I think in common sense also in humans, we would accept that, that human beings have a certain aura, a certain energy, which you can feel, which you can respond to. But modern humans always think we are the blessed ones, only the humans do have this. Some accept their pets have, the animals have, but hardly those, <laughs> those animals you eat on the plate have, but they have as well, and the plants have as well. So let's say the, the, how the, the plant is um, recognized by Steiner is different from what modern humankind would do, but it's not so different from what was common sense for ages. Um, like even some of the grandparent, uh, grand grandparent generation, they would still have a good feeling for that. But this is lost in most modern, modern approaches. But in the end, 
Um, we accept that there's, there's more than what we can see. There's something we can feel and we can embrace. And this is something we have to take care of as well. That's, that's really, really important in, in that context. And then again, talking of the result, because in the end, for example, for my wife and I, the beautiful thing is we, we do this farming approach and we have these wonderful wines as a side effect of the farming. So it's not necessarily the, the, the idea to produce a style of wine, but the, the idea is to have a healthy soil, to have um, healthy plants. And then we can pick those wonderful grapes and, and make people happy with the wine. But we never waste too much thoughts on the end result, we care about the process, how we get there, and that's also a big difference. And if you go into that approach, what we felt for the wines, it was also a certain evolution, of course, is again this extra layer where you so, so suddenly you don't judge on the wine by the taste, by the color, by the, by the smell, but you start um, judging the wine on how it makes you feel. Does it lift you up? Does it make you feel good? Does it provoke any, say, interesting conversation? And that's the thing we're talking about, this extra layer of energy. It moves something within you. And now I'm just a final sentence without being pathetic, but is <laughs> <laughs> a certain reason why vines have always been uh, regarded as divine plants, because wherever wine was growing in the ancient times, it's always been used the wine as a religious drink to a certain extent. And for our understanding, the reason why is because there's hardly any other plant which is on the same hand so deeply rooted, getting so much information, energy, you name it, from the soil in terms of taste, but also in terms of literally energy of the planet Earth. And then on the same hand, longing so much in terms of growth towards the sun. So it's a plant, if you don't control it, would always long up for the sun. It's like a liana, or you call mm -hmm. it. So it's a huge, huge connection to the sun as well. And this energy of the sun is transformed into a um, great amount of sugar. There's hardly any other um, fruit juice having so much sugar content as grape juice has. Imagine we, we all in our areas, we pick uh, grapes with about 18% of sugar in the juice. Then you imagine a, a liter of water and you put 180 grams of sugar inside. How much sweetness that is, that is just created by the energy of the sun. It doesn't taste that sweet because you have the acidity, you have minerality, you have tannic texture balancing this, but it's a huge amount of information, energy from the sun, from the cosmos, and the huge amount of minerality, energy, information from the soil. Hardly any other plant can combine those two energies. And the best thing we can all do as growers, or as natural wine growers, to, to bring this one-to-one -one into the bottle without necessarily intervening in the vinification, because all the steps we take in the end uh, in the best way, we can preserve the energy. In the worst way, we can lose on the process into the bottling. But we can never enrich this energy, what we get from outside. We can only try to preserve this. You guys catch all that? OK. <laughs> um, so we've talked about a little bit now the soil. And we've talked a little bit about now the sun. Um, there is another dimension to this sort of farming that is a pretty powerful part of it, and the, that is the moon which is a thing that you will kind of hear referred to obliquely when you're reading about people who farm biodynamically is they farm by lunar cycle. And you're like, okay, I have no idea what that means. Um, would any of you like to take a stab at sort of describing a little bit of the influence of the lunar cycle or anything that you do that is related to the, to the moon cycle at all? I don't know if you guys ac actually how much you do, each of you, so. It, it's okay, <laughs> I answer this question. Um, again, Probably everybody who's taken biodynamics seriously will also consider the, the lunar constellation to a certain extent, because this is part of the cosmic energy, as is the sun, as is the planet, the constellations, and the, the moon obviously is the, the, the nearest rock in the cosmos around the Earth, and it's having a huge impact on, on the planet. So what is also a common sense, even people who are denying there is an influence, it can move the sea, the tides, so there's huge gravity on the moon. And of course, this will also impact any plant or any living creature, because all of us, we are mainly made of water, like 80% in the plants. So this gravity alone will move the, the juices in the plants up and down to a certain extent, and will have a certain impact. So that's the gravity part of the moon. And then the movement part is also very, very important. So it's, there's certain different circles in the moon. But just to make it short a little bit, like, for example, the, the, 
do you call it rising and descending moon? Mm -hmm. yeah. So on, on the horizon, first you have a, like a small circle of the moon, next day you have a bigger one, you have a bigger one. So that's the, this, this, the rising, rising circle. And this takes also like energy, choose whatever, into the plant from the, from the soil. So it's kind of good, um, good timing to go for preparations for treatments on the plants. On the other hand, when the moon is descending, descending. descending, it's pushing kind of the energy into the soil. This is a good period for working on the soil. This is kind of a rhythm which is going like two weeks this direction, two weeks that direction. So that's also some basic things we can follow. And it helps also to, to organize a little bit the farming. And this is also something which is, of course, we want to be a little bit organized, kind of helpful on this. And then you have the sidereic moon, and this is a little bit more complex then, because according to which uh, planet uh, constellation the moon is passing, you also have certain rhythms and energies, and this is uh, according to the four elements. So you can go more into deep into this, and the more you, can, you follow the, the lunar calendar, of course, the, it will have a certain impact in terms of energy. But then on the same hand, this is at least our experience, you cannot go wrong because in the end you need to handle it. And that's also something we would always advise to anybody who's going into biodynamics or who's interested into this farming approach. Don't be dogmatic because life cannot be dogmatic. You have to be flexible. If you want to choose the perfect constellation for working on the soil on a certain day and then it rains, you can't do it. So you need to have another option or, or another, um, another thing to do. So, uh, you need to be a little bit flexible on this. And, and the less you, you go into this brain-driven, too organized approach, the less you let go, the less you go with, uh, the, the more you go with the flow, the, the more free the, the plants will be, the soil will be, and in the end, again, the wine will be. So there's more, more, like, more beauty of life shown then. So I think it's interesting to talk about, um, as we've mentioned a little bit, about how maybe this practice, biodynamics, feels like it's new or that we're hearing about it a ton, um, especially because Steiner kind of gave it, a, gave it a name and gave it a shape. Um, but as you mentioned, sometimes even our grandparents have a memory of doing things a little bit differently. For those of you who have farmers in your background, my grandmother was a farmer. Um, and I've heard this story from many people in many places that older people know some things about kind of plants and the earth and how to take care of them that we have largely forgotten because of industrial practices. Um, that, you know, I didn't know how to cook food until I was probably 23 years old because I used a microwave my entire life, right? I think there is a similar thing that has been happening for people with farming, which is that, you know, the ideas of biodynamics are really quite old. And if you look at farmers' almanacs, even, you know, from the United States that are 200 years old, you will see the lunar calendar. And you, and you will see cycles of the moon described about, okay, this is when you prune in a vineyard. This is when you harvest. The moon should be in this sort of state. And this is sort of without a scientific way of explaining why, but definitely a historically established model for farming that you see in many, many, many cultures around the world. Um, so even though, even though some of the things, for example, that Eduard is sharing might sound really out there, the sidereal movements of the moon and the planetary constellations, um, I think there's very old knowledge there that we, you will see echoed in many places. Sorry, I have to interrupt because <laughs> um, you have to differentiate. It's true some things are not scientifically proven because of the simple fact that you can't analyze a few things, but you can have the result in the practice. And then this is something sometimes also a little bit for us hard to understand. People would only believe it, not if they see it, not if they taste it, not, not if they feel it, but if they would only have an analyzer's sheep. And that's something which is certainly not according to what, what life teaches us. But for example, you, you, you grow carrots and you, you harvest them at the perfect constellation, you will see they will be kept longer, they will be different in taste, you will have like a more concentration to a certain extent, they will not fall apart that quickly. So it's obvious you can see it and feel it. And the same what we talked about before in the vineyards. You don't necessarily can put this into words, but if you walk through a biodynamically farmed land, in the end, it makes you feel differently. Do I have to know why? Probably not. Can I accept it? Can I embrace it? Hopefully, yes. And that's, that's something which for us is so annoying because we, we always think we can only accept something which we will understand. 
And there's this very beautiful quote. It's this um, famous, we passed away a long time ago, but it's a natural scientist called Max Planck, a German natural scientist. Of, he, he was a Nobel Prize winner. And at the end of his uh, days, I think it was in the 40s, 50s, he said, uh, now I, I realize that uh, even though I thought we would, we will never uh, solve the mystery of nature because we ourselves are part of this mystery. And this is something which for us personally is so beautiful in this approach. We don't have to know why it's happening. We can only be like children in front of the Christmas tree. Where do the presents come from? <laughs> of course, we, we've been behaving good in the vineyards all year long, but then the presents we would never have expected. Uh, that's nice. That is nice. <laughs> Um, so maybe, Johannes, can you talk about some of the ways that, um, that this kind of farming maybe has surprised you or, or things that, because you have been doing this for maybe five or six vintages now, yeah? Have there been any years where you were surprised by a vintage or where the farming showed you something new? So I think uh, the farming shows you uh, each day or each year something new. So um, the more you go with the nature, the the more you'll be every day surprised or each vintage surprised. But um, for me, uh, was um, one thing what you said before, because of your grandparents, the grandparents knows a lot of things. This is all the thing what, um, what was in our family the thing. Um, so my, fa my grandfather died uh, sadly in uh, 2012. So it was the, the, the year in the end before um, something changed in the winery and um, I remember the, the last speech or one of the last speeches what we had together so um, it was always uh, he worked always with the moon mm -hmm. and um, starting from from uh, I think um, the 19th when he stopped uh, more working so he has his own vineyards till he died but uh, starting from the 90s, uh, he stopped this, uh, this way of thinking because um, yeah, the winery is getting a bit bigger. Uh, also, my father was influenced now. And um, I'm really sad that I um, never talked more about this. Uh, and I think uh, it's a thing of uh, different generations. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not always easy in a, in a, in a family winery mm -hmm. to, uh, to talk together or uh, to be uh, that everyone in the end of the day is happy. <laughs> this is, will never happen. And, uh, but for me, the biggest thing was uh, in 2014, a really cold vintage in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, so we had, in the end, uh, perfect ripeness on the grapes, but we had a great acidity. Uh, we finished the harvest, uh, I think, four weeks uh, earlier than all of the others uh, in the area. And yeah, so I think this is always uh, a thing of, uh, of, of change or of, of surprise. Um, when you when you work with the nature or with biodynamic farming, that uh, things changing faster and faster, uh, and the only constant is the wine in the end. Mm -hmm. What about you, Matthias? Have there been because um, you have been about six or seven years yourself as well, yeah? Um, since biodynamic farming, have there been any vintages that surprised you or any changes that you saw that you were not expecting? Uh, yes, uh, sometimes in dry years uh, at Grüner Wettliner uh, it's very special aromatics and we see with the changing it was goes more stability aromes and <clears throat> the, also the aging potential goes higher and higher. So may I ask uh, was there any sort of um, resistance to the change, either in your families or in your neighboring communities? Were there anybody in the Kamtal or in the Weinviertel or in Burgenland who said, this is crazy, this is foolish, um, you shouldn't do it? No, I think uh, with the family, <clears throat> I have also my brother in the company. He make a, a winery restaurant or winery tavern. And Yes, they can also feel the difference in the wine and was really also happy with the changing. That's great. Not all families get along on this subject. This is a, not always a typical story. Um, what about you, Johannes? Was, how was your family reaction or your community? Family reaction was, uh, okay, so as I said, uh, my father changed also quite early to, um, to organic farming. So, and um, if there was ever a discussion about that, what I'm doing, I said, hey, 
what you were doing was totally crazy at this time, and now I do another way. And uh, <laughs> so I have only to remember him uh, for what he has done, and uh, everything was fine. And in the in the village, um, all the people who said to my father that he was crazy, uh, a, a lot of them uh, changed now to by, uh, to to organic farming. Um, so in the end, the, uh, I think 55% of the whole village is now farmed organic. Wow. What is a lot. Uh, but also the, uh, these uh, guys said now, hey, you're crazy, why are you going this way? And yeah. Eduard, everyone thought you guys were completely sane, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you find, because I know that um, Stephanie's family was involved in restaurants and so on, and uh, Matthias, you have this in common. Do you think that um, having people involved with food of other kinds, did that help them accept what you were doing or not really at all? You need to say yes, Okay, good. <laughs> uh, his, his wife has arrived. <laughs> okay, forget everything I ever told you. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, talking about two families, of course, they probably thought we were a little bit crazy as well. But then they were, were giving us lots of like um, mental support and uh, confidence and trust. And also like in the surrounding, like the, the growers around. I think when we started, they simply didn't take us seriously. And that happened like the first years. But then we had some difficult years like... Uh, um, Hannes mentioned uh, the 2014, but even 2010, 2008, lots of rain, difficult uh, conditions, lots of pressure from disease. And it turned out we had the most beautiful grapes compared to the others. And that at least uh, gained us some respect. Um, we have a few people now also changing the way of farming in our area. And there's more and more like small plants growing from the seeds we were throwing. But then in the end also you have to accept that uh, it takes quite a bit of mental courage as well to do this and to break up with the conventions there's been. So we'll take a little bit of patience, but certainly we know that, that this is a future way of farming and this will certainly be more and more important. Do any of you wonder to yourselves, because of course there are many ways of farming holistically across agriculture and kind of across the world. Do you wonder to yourselves, uh, why biodynamics, you know, is what if we did permaculture or what if we started planting a polycultural farm or do you ever question to yourselves maybe why this is working or whether it's worth it? That's a very personal question, I'm sorry. <laughs> Personally, we, we never questioned what we were doing, even though it's been quite difficult at the start, of course, to get some attention and also to, to make people understand what we were up to. But then, like on a personal opinion, um, there's holistic farming approaches, but there is hardly any holistic life approaches as biodynamics because it's far beyond the farming, as mentioned, and it's the the only approach which is considering to this to this extent what is driving us, what is driving our life, and that's the those informations, energies, whatever you want to call it, both from the the planet Earth as from the from the cosmos. Do you ever have any doubts, Johannes? No, none. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to ask a little bit about, I think what's very interesting about biodynamics is that so much of it, as Eduard mentioned, is an oral tradition. Um, there are very few texts that you can read unless you are reading Steiner. Um, and I think it's also very interesting to map and to monitor how people are discussing these practices with one another, um, planting seeds or coming to hear about these theories. Usually when you talk to a winemaker, you will find that another winemaker has told them about this thing or that thing. And I think the sharing of information has been a really big part of this kind of um, movement. Um, Matthias, was there anyone who you talked to who sort of inspired you to do this thing? Were there any other growers or, or wines that you had that made you feel maybe I should look into this? Yes, uh, one of the famous or first uh, biodynamic winery, the Nikolaihof inspired me <clears throat> for the very long life he wines and yes I think that's a pretty big icon to be inspired by Nikolayov has Rieslings and Kronofeld Liners that will live for 20-30 years and they've been biodynamic for a long time yes. um, what about for you Johannes was there anyone who inspired you uh, I think it was um, for me the first thing um, what inspired me was uh, 
I traveled in 2011 to Georgia. It was not a biodynamic farm where I was, uh, but it was everything what they have done was done by hand because uh, this was all small farms with uh, one or uh, one and a half hectare. And if you walk through through their soils, this pff, was super incredible. I've never seen soils like there. And uh, always think about uh, how can we have soils like they have there. And um, yeah, I think uh, that. Uh, the biodynamic way was uh, was uh, for me the right answer. Um, for sure, I don't have a soil like they have because uh, we have a tract what they don't have. And um, but in the end, I think uh, it will be uh, for me the better way uh, farming than before. And uh, when we're speaking from from a person who inspired me, it will be Eddie and Steffi, wahrscheinlich. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Eduard, you mentioned a little bit that there were some wines that you found in, in your um, practice that, you know, or just in your life that you were drinking and you, you said, wow, we keep finding out these wines that we love and that make us feel things are biodynamic. What were some of those wines or some of those producers that sort of made you feel this way? Yeah, so in 2007, um, when we started, or like 2006, when we were about to, to go into that direction, uh, there hasn't been so many, like, biodynamic uh, growers as, as nowadays, of course. But those, say, godfathers like Nicolas Jolie and Stefano Bellotti, who unfortunately passed away recently, um, those wines we had at, at that time, and they gave us a certain goosebump feeling, and we couldn't really explain why. But certainly now we know because of the, the, the soil being farmed for a long time into that direction and this extra, extra layer of lifeliness, of vitality, as you would call it, um, gave us this, this goosebump feeling which we, we never got rid of and which kind of inspired as well. But then on the same end, in the area, we've been a little bit, um, like not on purpose, but we didn't have the, the, the inspiration. And it was, like now looking back, quite good that we didn't have an, a neighbor inspiring us when we started because probably would have been too close to, to that approach. So we found our own approach we're happy with and which is also according to the potential of our own vineyards which is quite good. If you all were to think about where you would like with this farming practice, where you would like your winery to be in the next decade, is there anything you feel like you're hoping that um, biodynamic farming will develop for you or anything that you're hoping that you will see change on your own property and in your own wines? Or are you just sort of um, taking it day by day. I'm wondering, in thinking about the future as you continue to farm this way, is there anything you hope for? I, so, okay, I, I don't know where next week, or uh, I don't know what was <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know what will happen in, in the next 10 or 15 years, really. Yeah. So, um, things uh, changing early and early, especially with uh, changing in climate, uh, mm -hmm. something can be next year totally different than this year. Um, we see it in our area, so our area is uh, totally bone dry and uh, we have the last five years annual rain contents of uh, 300, 320 millimeters, so wow. really low. So this year was okay, but uh, let's see what is next year or is in five years. Pfft, really don't know what's happened. Yeah. Do you think there is any potential in, in biodynamic farming to, to try to combat some of the pressure from climate change? Because it's every grower I speak to knows that the climate is changing because their vintages are so up and down. Do you think that there's anything in this farming that is helping or can yeah, For sure, try, try to have a, 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 science, a, a healthy soil what can save a lot of water during the year, um, have greenings what saves water, uh, and uh, yeah. Personally, we would say the only way to cope with these dramatic changes which are happening is um, a farming approach like biodynamics. Because as Hannes said, uh, we need to have this healthy soil to, to balance those extremes. We need to have the healthy plants to cope with these extremes. And we have the, the strings to pull in biodynamics with the preparation, with the herbal extracts to bring back a balance where there is none. But it takes time, it takes patience. And it also, I mean, this goes into all of you, it also takes lots of lots of effort. And that's something maybe 
people who are drinking, enjoying wines are sometimes a little bit underestimating how much effort there is. Again, as Hannes said, the same drives us. We don't want any machines in the vineyards anymore because this, this prevents us to have the, the perfect or the, the most healthy soil. We want to have more and more hands integrated into the work. We want to have the spirits of the people. They cost money. There is something, an extra effort. The, the quantities are lower than in the industrial farming, of course, because we don't push for the high quantities. The ups and downs in terms of vintages and quantity-wise is, is higher because we don't, we don't push with the nutrients. So this is a huge effort we take, and this effort in the long run needs to be justified. And how can it be justified? By a fair price for the produce, whatever, whether it's a, it's a vegetable, it's a fruit, it's a wine, whatever is grown in, in a sustainable way. But maybe it will, will make people rethink a little bit. We don't need to overconsume, but we need to consume the right things, and then we will all have fun with it, we will all prosper, and we will all have the chance to also encourage other farmers to go for this approach. Nobody of us wants to die in, in beauty, honestly, but we want to make a change, but this change also brings with, it, with itself lots of effort which has to be justified. Yeah. I think what Eduard is very gently saying is that sometimes these wines aren't cheap, right? And I think that's something that we need to bear in mind is that maybe it's better to drink a bottle of, you know, with four of us at a dinner table, a bottle of Matthias Heger, a bottle of Johannes Zillinger, and a bottle of Gudogau instead of the 10 bottles of whatever wine that only cost 45 bucks that you can easily take down, um, that there will be an actual change in the way that we consume because we are the other part of the cycle is the people who buy the wines and the people who drink them at their table or in restaurants or in bars or whatever, um, that when wines are made with this kind of intention and this kind of effort and labor, that there is a change in the way that they are drunk too um, and that that sometimes that comes with a price tag, not just for the people who are laboring, but also for the people who are purchasing, right? And so that's something to bear in mind as well, is that expensive doesn't, isn't necessarily just because of name, and sometimes expense actually links back to how much labor is going into this stuff. And these are really labor-driven wines, and I don't know about you guys, but I can, I absolutely can taste the difference. You know, these do not taste like all of the wines that my aunts and uncles still drink at ski lodges, you know? Um, and I, I think that it's, it's very hard to talk with people about vitality, you know, and about energy, but I think that if you have a bottle of any of these guys' wines, you'll feel it, and that, that that is the next step in wine drinking, is not just being able to say sulfur, no sulfur, or six days on the skins, or eight days on the skins, but rather, um, where did they come from? How are they farming? What are the soils like? How do the grapes respond to those soils? And, and, and then how does it feel, actually, to drink them? Like, that's that kind of next step, and it is hard to talk about because we are a skeptical people. Um, we are a science-oriented people, um, but I think these wines and these practices have a lot to teach us. Um, also, it's a way healthier way to drink, even though my parents still kind of don't believe it. So, do you guys have any questions for these growers before we wrap up? Is there anyone with a burning biodynamics question? And then, and then we'll call it. Let's do it. Yeah, the certification question for those of you guys that can't hear, like whether or not to certify with Demeter for biodynamics is a, is a good question. Yeah, so all the three of us, we are Demeter certified. Um, personally, for us, I think I can speak um, for, for all the three. Um, there's never been any question whether certification or not, because like the certification of Demeter is for us more, more than a certification, it's more like a group of interest. And it's always been for a long time the group of interested, interest for biodynamic farming. This has never been questioned for, for decades. It's only been recently that, of course, every farmer, every grower has the freedom to do what they want, to be, to be working in a certain way without being certified. And there's a certain pro and con, of course, for certification because it means bureaucracy and it means certain standards people are overdoing or, or just, just leveling. But for us personally, it's all about consumers' trust as well. The certification, of course, helps to, to get a little bit of a trust in terms of consumers because you, you see a label, you probably don't have the chance to personally talk to a grower and you don't really know how it is farmed, then you at least the common sense is for Demeter to be biodynamically farmed at a certain minimum standard. I would say all of us, we, we go over those standards, so we don't only fulfill the minimum standards, but we do less than that in terms of intervention and more, more intense farming approach uh, in, a, in a positive way. 
but still this is the minimum standard with a certain common sense for, for all of the uh, biodynamic farmers around. So we would certainly think it's good to be certified for the reason of, of having the consumers a um, little bit guided into, into the, the way of farming. In the perfect world, of course, it should be the other way around, because why we, do we have to prove that we are not doing anything which is not according to the natural growth or, or balance, whereas those who are working on a chemical base or into industrial, they don't need to prove anything. So the, the world is a little bit upside down, but it's the way it is. And I think all of us, we think it's better to be to be moving this a little bit or shifting it from the inside rather than just pointing with the finger from the outside and not having the chance to, to make a difference. In, in, a, in a group, you're always stronger than if it's just, just you alone. Do you guys have any thoughts about that certification? And then we'll wrap up. You feel good about it. OK, good. <laughs> um, if you guys could say thank you to our panelists, to Matias and Johannes and Eduard. Great. Amanda. <laughs> also, feel free to come by Estella and drink them because they carry all of their wine, so you can come hang out anytime. <laughs> cool. Enjoy the day, guys. You, you order two bottles, you get one for free. <laughs> <laughs> this program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.